if there is one word that I think would describe what Christmas is all about, is that very simple three-letter word, J-O and Y, joy. Joy. Several of our favorite carols mention it. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. I wonder how many of us come in here today, this morning, with a spirit and a feeling of joy. You know, joy is an interesting term when you start to break it down, you start to wrestle with it, you start to look at different angles of it. For instance, I believe joy can be a great thing and also a challenging thing to the church. We come together to worship and we go, oh, that's a joyful experience to come and worship. But at the same time, we come together to church and we, we worship or hear a sermon preach or we go into a Bible study and we think, well, that's supposed to be a joyful experience. But sometimes we can walk out and we walk out with a list of things I'm supposed to stop doing or things I'm supposed to start doing. And sometimes that can get us depressed instead of being joy-filled because you're like, how can I possibly accomplish all that I just studied or I just learned about? Or when it talks about, or when you think about our world and how our world looks at that term joy, it's so connected and so tied to our happiness, and our happiness then is tied to circumstantial evidence or circumstantial things that are going on around us. When things are good, I'm happy, and I think I'm joyful. But when things are bad, then maybe I'm mad or I'm sad. Well, that's gone, and now I don't feel joyful. And it can be such a challenge to understand the difference between being happy and the difference between having joy. Or we look at the scripture in the book of James and it says to be joyful even in the midst of challenges or trials. We have to stop and pause and go, how is that possible? When circumstances are bad, then life's bad. And that's what the world teaches. So we have this wrestling or in this Christmas season, just go to the mall. Your joy is probably gone within minutes. We discovered that yesterday, the first store, and I knew I'm preaching on joy today. How can we do this? But we know during this season that can be challenged. Where does joy come from? Where does it come from? Look at Luke chapter 2 with me. We're going to dive in just to kind of one key verse today, but let me just set it up for you a little bit. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, theologian and Professor William Willimon said Christmas is a, is a delightful disruption of the way things normally go. You think about that for a moment. I, I like that phrase, a delightful disruption, because it catches the spirit of Luke chapter 2. One moment, they're out tending the sheep in the middle of the night, and their next moment, they are being scared out of their wicks by an angelic choir. Now, I don't know how delightful that is, but I'm sure it's a major disruption. There's a major disruption taking place in their life. The angel comes with good news of great joy that will be for all people. I want you to hear that. 
good news with great joy that is for all people. Put your name in there. Good news that is great joy for Brian, for Samantha, for Julie, for Greg. Put your name in there because sometimes we say all people and we kind of get this thing that's kind of out there. No, it's for you. What is this good news of great joy? What, what is that that he's talking about, that the angel pronounces here? Luke chapter 2, verse 11 goes on and says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He says, here's the good news. If you're looking for Christmas joy, I suggest you can find it all in this one single verse. Let's look at four aspects here regarding the coming of Christ that lead to joy as we dive into this verse today. First, we must consider the prophecy of his coming. Notice this phrase, born this day in the city of David. Now, the city of David is not Jerusalem, but it's actually Bethlehem, which is about five miles south of Jerusalem. And today, Bethlehem is an Arab town under Palestinian control. But when Jesus was born, it was this, just a tiny little Jewish community. Modern-day Bethlehem, if you go there today, it's bustling. It's filled with thousands of people. They're running about the streets and the narrow streets. They're bumping up against one another. The major industry of Bethlehem today is tour tourism. People coming to see this site, this city. Where was Jesus born at? And one of the biggest important sites that people want to go to is the Church of the Holy Nativity, which is right in the very center of the city. Because they want to say, I want to be right where Jesus was. It's one of the oldest churches in the Holy Land. It was first built on that site 1,700 years ago. It's been added to. It's been remodeled. It's been upkept. But today when you visit Bethlehem, it's hard to envision what it was like when Jesus was born. Because today it's so full of people. In 1867, a Boston pastor named Philip Brooks visited the Holy Land at Christmas time. Upon his return, he wrote a Christmas carol, which he set to music by his choir director for a concert the next year. And we still sing it today. It's, old little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. He wrote that because 130 years ago, Bethlehem was still just a tiny little village. He wrote that thinking about what would it have been like for Jesus to be born in this town. And he tried to picture that in his song. And when he wrote, Bethlehem is called the city of David because David grew up there along with his father and his seven brothers. In fact, David tended sheep in the fields right outside that village just as the shepherds were doing that night when they appeared to him. And so it's known as the city of David. Here's where prophecy is amazing as you think about the birth of Jesus. 700 years earlier, now, we can't even hardly fathom 700 years. It's hard for us to fathom what was it like 50 years ago. Yeah, we can read some history books or, or 100 years ago, but 700 years earlier, the Lord has spoken through the prophet Micah and declared that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Look at the scripture in Micah 5. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Notice the phrase, though you are small among the clans of Judah. That prophecy came to the Lord 
from the Lord, 700 B.C., when Bethlehem was a tiny, non-important little tiny village. No one would have never named Bethlehem as one of the top 10 vacation spots in Israel. Nobody had it on their radar, like, we got to go check out Bethlehem. If you weren't there looking for it, you would have never found it. It was kind of an off-the-beaten-path type town. You'd go there, and you'd find maybe a few small houses. I mean, it was less than a one-stoplight type town. It was just a tiny little town. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was nothing of importance there. However, all the Jews knew that the Messiah would be born there. They knew that it was supposed to be taking place. How do they know that? When we look at Matthew chapter 2, it tells us when the Magi came to Herod in Jerusalem, they asked, where is he who is king of the Jews? We have seen a star in the east have come to worship him. That's a good question. Where is the Messiah to be born? Herod gathered together his theological council and asked them the same question. And they replied by quoting from the book of Micah in Matthew 2, 6. They said, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And and that's what I mean by the fact that all the Jews knew. God had told them 700 years before exactly where Christ would be born. And if they knew the scriptures, they would know what was taking place. Because there's no secret about it. See, it's amazing to me that even though the Magi have suddenly showed up in Jerusalem... And even though the theologians knew where the baby was to be born, and even though Bethlehem was five miles south of Jerusalem, as far as we know, not one of them cared enough to investigate it to themselves. I mean, you think about it. The star in the sky, it wasn't just the shepherds that were able to see that star. Everybody would have saw that star. Everybody would have recognized that star is different. Maybe that star is brighter. Maybe it's larger. Why does it look so different? Why is it placed over there? And as they're going about the city, why would then someone not say, hey, did you see that star up there yet? Doesn't that look different? Doesn't that thing look more bright? I mean, we do that to each other today. Man, look at that moon. Look how bright the moon is. It looks really different tonight. They would have done the same thing. They've been wondering, what's going on? Why is that star different? But they didn't make any kind of move. They missed the most important part event in world history because they couldn't be bothered. They were too busy with life and what was going on. How different are the shepherds? See, as good Jews, they too must have known the prophecy in Micah. When the shepherds hear the glad tidings, of great, uh, glad tidings that Christ has come, they respond by saying, let's go straight to Bethlehem. They say, there's the star. We, we must go. Let, let's go. There, we must move. The theologians knew the truth, but they didn't act upon it. And the shepherds knew very little, but what they did know they believed and immediately acted upon it. I mean, they knew enough to say that star is different. Well, this is God we're talking about the Christ child. We must go. So when we read the city of David, we should remember that, it's, that, it, that Jesus was born in fulfillment of the prophecy that was 700 years earlier. But it should remind us that knowledge, is, knowledge alone is never enough to save us. We may know a whole lot about the scriptures. We may know a whole lot about God. We may think we have it, but it's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. So what have you been doing with God lately? What have you been doing with what you know about Him? How have you been engaging with Him? Let me discuss another aspect of this with you, and that's the reality of His coming. Look at verse 11 again. For unto you is born this day. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Just focus on those three words. Born this day. That's a very active terminology. Something took place, born this day, speaks to the fact of what happened 
in Bethlehem was nothing less than the birth of a baby. His name was Jesus. Now, there's two realities or truths that I must mention. First of all, there was no miracles associated with the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ was a very normal thing like we experience today. We often speak of the virgin birth of Christ, and we remember that a miracle took place, but the miracle took place nine months earlier when Mary becomes pregnated because of a virgin birth. No sexual activity. She became pregnant because of the Holy Spirit, because of what the Holy Spirit did. That's an enormous miracle, and it's never been repeated again in the history of the world. That's the miracle. But from that point forward, Mary went through what would be, quote-unquote, a normal nine-month pregnancy. She dealt with weight gain. She probably dealt with swollen ankles. She dealt with cravings. That I, wanted, I don't know if it was a hamburger, but she wanted something, maybe some manna or something. I have no idea. But she, she dealt with those kinds of cravings. It was all normal. I'm sure she had her times where she exploded and wanted to kill Joseph. And Joseph, why are we going through this? All that went on. It was all very normal. And although Luke gives no details, we may safely assume that the delivery itself was normal in every way, or at least as normal as any birth could be in such circumstances. See, from time to time, we hear of or we read of maybe someone giving birth in strange places. Like, well, yeah, we're on our way to the hospital, and we delivered the baby in the back of the car. Or, you know, we're on vacation, we're on a cruise, and we get, deliver the baby you know, while we're on a cruise. Or, or, or we, were, we were stuck in a traffic jam or whatever. We hear of crazy, weird situations like that. But everything else was kind of normal. And so the birth of Jesus falls in that category where it was normal, but it was an abnormal situation. And she has the birth of our Savior. Second, it's important to remind ourselves that the phrase this day means that it really did happen. It really did happen. Sometimes, even amongst Christians, there's some doubt. Like, was that a real story? Or was that just a story to teach us the truth? Did that really take place? No, it really did happen. Francis Schaeffer used to talk about what he would call lower story and upper story truths. Lower story truth is made up of those things that are about facts and about history, things that really happened at a certain time and place or with particular people. By contrast, upper story truth refers to fables or stories like fables of Aesop that everyone knows are not true, but they're meant to speak to, to teach religious truth. Many people today look to and they say, well, that's kind of an upper story truth. There's just no way that could have happened. And our society questions that, and sometimes that's even creeped into the church where we question that and go, is that real? One professor called it theological fiction. That is a story made up by the early church to explain the uniqueness of Jesus. He said, well, where did that come from? How that thinking crept into our society. Some of you may have heard of the Jesus seminars that took place many years ago. A group of liberal scholars who used color pebbles to vote on whether or not the gospel stories about Jesus are true or not. Several years ago, they voted down the virgin birth 24 to 1 against biblical account of the virgin birth and said, there's no way that was real. Voting with these colored bubbles, the colored little pebbles, these pundits decided that Mary must have had sexual intercourse with Joseph or somebody unknown before she came pregnant with Jesus because there's no way that could have taken place. And they decreed that the visit of the wise men is a fabrication, the slaughter of the innocents, a fiction, and that the that the flight of the Holy Family into Egypt was an actual uh, a fanciful allegory drawn from the Moses and Exodus. And so when that crept in through the Jesus Seminar, it started infiltrating our society, and it now has raised question in our mind, is it real, is it not real? And some of you today may sit here today and go, you know, I, 
I appreciate the Jesus story. I appreciate the virgin birth story. Teaches me some things. I'm not sure if I buy it all. I'm not sure if I'd buy in 100%. I mention that because the Christian church has always professed its literal belief in the truth of the virgin birth. Has always professed that. The ancient creeds put it this way, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This is one truth that has always been believed by all Christians everywhere until we started challenging God's plan and God's purpose. To use Francis Schaeffer's term, the birth of Jesus is lower story truth because it really, truly happened. And I would encourage you not to doubt it this Christmas season. So when we read, unto you is born this day, the city of David, let us remember that it points to something that is true. It points to an event that really happened. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a neat little story to teach a religious truth. Everything about the story is true, including the central truth that there really was a baby born in Bethlehem who really was the Son of God. And so as we consider this truth today, we, we see a prophecy of 700 years earlier and then it coming true. We see the day was, which leads us now to result of his coming. Again, go back to our verse in Luke chapter 2. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Here's an interesting fact about this text, that it comes from the Greek in Luke chapter 2. And when Luke wrote his account, he didn't use any articles to describe who Jesus is. If you were to read this in the actual Greek, here's how it's written. Savior, Christ, Lord. Three terms to describe Jesus. Savior, Christ, Lord. And each word is vitally important. You think about the word Savior. It's actually an Old Testament word that means one who will deliver his people. And I would say we all need to be delivered The word Lord is a term deity. It's a synonym for for God. So Savior and then Lord or God. And then Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. And so the Savior comes to deliver. God comes to deliver. The anointed one comes to deliver us. From what? What do we need to be delivered from? Why do we need a Savior? Well, because we're all sinners. All of us are sinners. When the angel announced the birth of Jesus to Joseph, he said, give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Who in here is a sinner today? Some of us have realized it. Some are still thinking about it. If we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us know I'm a sinner. Every single one of us know I messed up. Every single one of us know I have fallen short of God's plan. I've ignored his plans, his purposes. I've done life my own way. We, if we're honest with ourselves, we've heard Romans that tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And if we have sinned, then we need to be saved from that sin. We need to be rescued. We need one who will deliver us from that sin. And so we have a baby. His name is Jesus. He's God. He comes to save us. And the question we need to wrestle with this Christmas season is the question of, am I saved? It's a good question. It's a good question for every single one of us to wrestle with, no matter where we're at, say, am I saved? Do I have the confidence that if God called me home today or tomorrow or this week, I, I have with, with, a shadow, with no, no shadow of doubt, I know I'm going to be in heaven. You're here today, and you're like, ah, I'm not sure about that. I can't tell you how many times I run into people. And say, well, I hope I've done enough good stuff. 
I, I hope God's been watching and see my good. If you're thinking along the good lines, you may not understand what salvation means. And so today could be a day where you open up a present, you open a gift from God, and you say, God, I, I want to put my belief in you. I want to put my faith in you. I want to put my trust in you. I want to repent of my sins. I, I want to follow you. And even moving in the waters of baptism. This week on social media, I saw a story going, uh, going around. A guy was 91 years old, and he was in hospice care, and he said, i got to get baptized. And there was a video of him getting baptized at 91 years old. And as they shared the story, he just said, you know, I believe in Jesus for a long time, but I've never followed this. I need to be obedient. It's the best decision I've made in my life at 91 years old. So not only that, but he came to be our Lord and ruler of the universe. Today, he's Lord of heaven. One day, he'll return and set up his kingdom here on earth. See, between now and when Christ calls or Christ returns, we as Christians are called to make him Lord of our life on a daily basis. That means we're called to say, Lord, you're in charge. Lord, you call the shots. Lord, what you ask me to do, I'll do. Lord, where you want me to go, I'll go. Lord, what your scripture tells me to do, I'm going to follow that. But many times we argue with that, we debate that, or we don't know the word, and so we're not really sure. I heard a prayer recently. Maybe you want to write this down. It's a great prayer. I would encourage you to pray during 2020. Heavenly Father, you're in charge of everything that will happen in my life today, the good and the bad, the positive and the negative. Please make me thankful for everything that happens to me today. What a simple prayer. Just to simply pray, Lord, you are in charge of this day. Lord, whether it's going to be a good day, it's going to be a bad day, it's going to be an up and down day, I don't care what it is, Lord, you're in charge of it. And when you say that, and you say, Lord, help me to be thankful, you're saying, Lord, I'm submitting to your lordship. I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to do what you want me to do. It's a prayer that works because it's based on the truth that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, and we want to work to to be rightly under his authority and completely surrender to him because he's Savior, he's Lord, and he's Christ. He's sent from God. Now, I call this the result of his coming, and in a sense, that's maybe not exactly entirely accurate because he's Savior and he's Lord even without his coming. Stop and think about it. He's still going to be Savior and Lord without his coming, but if he had never come, then we'd never known it. And so God didn't just sit up on the throne and proclaim, I'm Savior and Lord, He came down to us to communicate that message to us. What a wonderful gift. That, that's the heart of Christmas, that God loved us enough to send His own Son. Think of it this way. He didn't send a committee. If you ever served on any kind of committee in the church or a team, you know sometimes we struggle to get things done, don't we? If God would have sent a committee, we'd all be in trouble. He didn't write a book. Or a blog. Today is really popular. Hey, let me write a book. Let me write a blog. Let me, let me share my thoughts. Let me share my ideas. How to do all this. No, he didn't do that. He didn't go on social media and start to post all of his ideas and all of his thoughts. He didn't start to argue. That's a little side note. Let me suggest to you, Christians, we can't argue on Facebook and social media. It doesn't do any good. That's not what he did. He didn't go through that avenue. He didn't send a substitute. He didn't say, well, I should go, but I'm going to send somebody else in my place. No, God himself came. And when God got ready to save the world, he sent the best he had as one and only son. And sending Jesus, he's really sending himself. We lose a picture of that sometimes, that when God came down to this earth as Jesus and then died on a cross, God died on that cross for you and me. And we forget that that's what took place. And many times we say, well, Jesus died on a cross. Yeah, but Jesus is God. 
This is the stupendous truth of Christ, Emmanuel, that God is with us. All this is about his purpose. And the last aspect I want to discuss with you is the purpose of his coming. Our text contains one final truth for our consideration that we must hear today. Look at the text once again. For unto you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now pause for a minute, moment and consider who is speaking. The angel is speaking there. And, and who is being addressed? For unto you. Well, we think, oh, you know, talking to the wise men, talking to the people that time. For unto you would include us. See, when the shepherds heard these words from the angel, I'm sure they must have been flabbergasted. Wait a minute, why, why are you talking to us? We, we tend to overlook the fact that shepherds were near the bottom of the social order of ancient Israel. They were often poor. Often they were uneducated. Some were quite young. Not very many people would pick, quote-unquote, the shepherd on their career preference form. They're not saying, I'm signing up. That's my career path. Many times they fell into that career path because it's been a family career path or they weren't wise enough or smart enough to do something else. There are many easier ways to make a living. Pastor Doug Goins paints a vivid picture of how shepherds were viewed in that day. He says the Judean shepherds were the lowest of the low socially. Common men, a despised class with a bad reputation. Shepherds were known as thieves because they were nomadic. And as they moved their sheep around the country, sometimes they got confused about what was mine and what was thine. They were all tarred with the same brush, unworthy, dishonest. They were not allowed to give testimony in a Jewish court of law. Their work made it impossible for them to observe the Jewish ceremonial laws and temple rituals. So they were considered religiously unclean and unacceptable. It's pretty amazing to think this heavenly invasion came to such social outcasts. God never does the things that make sense to us, does he? Two plus two doesn't always equal four in God's economy. So when the angel says, to you is born, he's really saying Christ came for the lowly. But what about those theologians in Jerusalem who knew but didn't care? He came for them too. At the time, they didn't know about it. When Christ came, his birth was first announced to the outcasts of our society. They were the first ones to hear the good news of Christmas. There's a great lesson for all of us. Our Lord came for the forgotten people of the earth, and most of the time, they are the ones who receive him with greatest joy. The ones who live a very humble, prideless life. See, rich people often have no time for Christ, but the poor welcome him as an honored guest. What side of the scale are you on this Christmas? Would you say, you know, I'm living much more poor in spirit? Or are you living in the riches of this world? Let me make a simple application. The angel said, for unto you is a born this day city of David a Savior. Unto you means for you. In other words, he came for you. You ever stop and make Christmas that personal? He came for you. Put your name in there. You start to think about that. Wait a minute. God sent Jesus to this earth for me? On the count of three, I want you to say your name. You ready? One, two, three. He came for you. Christmas should be that personal. We start to think about Christ. He came for me. He didn't just, came, he didn't just come for a big old group of people. He came very personally for me, this is where Christmas becomes intensely personal. 
It's not enough to say abstractly that, that I believe in Christ. Millions of people say that and they're still lost in their sins, that they believe that there's a Lord or that there's a God. It's not enough to say Christ came for someone else. You can never be saved until you get to the point that you say, Christ came for me, Christ died for me, he rose from the dead for me. And when it becomes personal, that's when the relationship takes off. That's also when you become saved, when you realize it's Christ came for me. Do you believe that? It's a good question for us to always be wrestling with. Am I walking in a place of belief of Jesus Christ? Just a few days, we'll, Christmas will be here. And families will start to gather around a tree and open their presents. Some of you probably already have started that. I know we have in our family since some family was in town was last week. And you start to gather around and start to open presents. And as you hand presents out, in our house, we kind of go a little slower. We hand one out and let them open it. Another one, hand it out let them open it. When is that gift actually received? See, if someone hands me a present and I say, oh, thank you, boom, and I set it aside, have I really received it? Or is it when I start to tear that thing open and I tear into it and then I welcome that gift into my life? Thank you so much for giving me this gift. Now, depending on how you are in your house, sometimes that goes crazy. And some of you, I know you got them in your family, just like we do in our family, go as slow as you can. How slowly can I take off that piece of tape and maybe cut that real slow and you'll draw it all out. You'll be opening up some gifts this week that they're all going to fade away. They're all going to spoil. They're all going to end up in a trash. They're all going to end up a dump one day. They're going to end up at Goodwill store. One day they're all going to fade away. There's only one gift you could open this Christmas that won't. And that's except Jesus is your Savior if you haven't done so. And if you have done so, this could be a Christmas to renew that connection with Jesus. You know, we did a thing the other day when a four-year-old nephew was with us. And uh, he's the youngest in the family now. All my kids are older teenagers. And so we all focus in on Nathan. Nathan gets lots of presents between aunts and uncles and grandmas, and, and uh, we said, we want to do something a little bit different, and Nathan was so excited. He was so ready to open all his presents, and he saw the present at the tree, and he said, hold up, Nathan. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We said, we want you to start with this one over here, and Brian and, I bought, Brian and I had bought him two different books that tell the story of Jesus. We said, we're going to open up these presents, and then we're going to read, the, we're going to open this first present. We're going to read the, uh, one of these books, and he sat down next to Brian, and she started reading and he was just enthralled. You know, his eyes are real big, just listening in so intently. Four-year-old, you know, probably when I was four, I was like, let me get to the presents. I don't want a book. Got done reading that book, and it was all about Christ and Jesus, and he pointed to the next book. Because we were going to be like, okay, we'll read that other one later. You know, let's not, let's not torture this poor child ready to open some presents here. And uh, he was so enthralled, eyes wide open, hearing about Jesus. And I sat there and watched him as he just stared at those books, hearing about Jesus, and I thought, where are we as adults? Is the story of Jesus that fresh to us? Or like, oh, tell me more. I want, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. So much more that that four-year-old was willing to put back his excitement to open all the presents, and he heard about Jesus. Are, are we that way? where I, I want to hear about Jesus. Like when you gather with your family and someone says, hey, I want to pray, you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go through prayer. Hey, I want to open the Bible. I want to read the Scriptures before this. Is it like, yeah, I can't wait to hear the Word again. I can't wait to hear that Scripture. Or is it like, oh, yeah, we're going to go through that ritual, reading the Scripture again. Here we go. Are we excited with the joy that's in, in us because we go, I have Christ inside of me. Jesus is God's Christmas gift to you. God's Christmas gift to you.
You'll never experience Christmas joy until personally you have that gift in your life and you learn how to walk with Jesus in that. Today, as we do each week, we'll have a few people at the cross over here. They're there to pray with you. Maybe you're walking through some Christmas things or taking away the joy. You guys just need someone to pray over me, pray with me. They'd love to meet with you and pray with you. Maybe today you say, man, I, I want to begin a conversation. I, I like conversations about Jesus versus a hard call, come to Christ right now. We, we believe sometimes it takes some, some educated conversations and guides you in faith. For some, you're ready. You've been having those conversations. You're like, man, today could be my day. We'd love to help you in that, uh, that time of opening that present of Jesus being your Savior. I close with the words of the angel to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. And what is the source of that joy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Bow your heads with me.